Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 62, Black Mirror. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Mike and Dave here with you again with another show topic. And we have a show that's been out for a while, but it just has garnered so much attention, especially on the Den of Geek website, that we felt we had to give it its due here on the podcast. And that's Black Mirror, which really has turned in a stellar season five, although you would never know it if you read some of the reviews out there, Dave. You know, I often wonder whether some of these critics actually watched the entire episode before <laughs> reviewing it. And, and I'm serious about that. Yeah, I, I really was kind of shocked by some of the reviews that are out there. Now, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and you look at the aggregate critic scores, which I highly recommend against doing usually, you know, you can see that most people gave each of the episodes a fairly good shake, maybe with the exception of the one that you're talking about tonight, Dave, but we did pick two of the three episodes to talk about tonight. So it's kind of a shared topic between Dave and I, uh, Dave picked one that he wants to talk about. I picked one that I want to talk about, and then we'll just, you know, give the the third one a quick mention for those of you who uh, kind of want the full season discussion. But in terms of spoilers, you pretty much have the whole thing as a spoiler because of each episode being its own self-contained story, it's kind of like a movie. So we're not going to have a spoiler zone alert at any point during this podcast because, you know, you could really watch Black Mirror episodes in any order. Right, Dave? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the series. And and to be honest, I still haven't seen all of the previous episodes for prior seasons. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's a thing that you can do the similar to any anthology series that's like this, including the Twilight Zone. There's always going to be episodes that you enjoy more than others. But I'll tell you what, I'll go ahead and start off the discussion here, Dave, with discussion of episode 501, Striking Vipers, which really has become one of my most favorite episodes of the series. And it wasn't that way on my first viewing. Because as I was writing a review for this one, for Den of Geek, it was the one that was assigned to me. I didn't choose it, but because I had to take such careful notes, the more I put together my thoughts for my review for this episode, the deeper it got, the more thematically rich this episode got. So I, I'm going to uh, definitely dive into those elements. But basically the premise for this one is you've got Anthony Mackie and Nicole Bahari who some people may remember from Sleepy Hollow. Everyone probably knows Anthony Mackie from the Avengers films, but they play married couple Danny and Theo. And then Yaya Abdul-Mateen plays Danny's friend, Carl. And the episode starts out the three of them as roommates in their 20s. It's almost like a blink and you could miss it moment in terms of, you know, their history together. But they're shown kind of partying, playing video games, and basically just living like anyone would in their 20s, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great opening. And it's one of the things that I love most about this episode. And, and you love it a lot more than I do. I'll say that. But one of the <laughs> things I really do love 
are the th- three characters. I mean, the acting is just wonderful. The the actors and their characters are just totally engaging, totally compelling. The story you're going to convince <laughs> me as we go along. <laughs> well, no, I get that, and I get that. Yeah, I agree. The acting is stellar, and the themes are what really get me going. But the story and the pacing, in particular, does have some deficiencies. And I know my brother, in particular, shared with me his misgivings about the tech in this particular one, and I'll talk about that in a second. But in the plot line for this one. They mostly spend time 11 years past that opening scene where Danny is at his 38th birthday. And you can see that family life has worn them down. They're living life in the suburbs. Things aren't as interesting. And this is where the pacing kind of slows down a bit, right? But, you know, the couple is successful. They're trying for their second child. And Carl shows up. And he's sort of living a little bit more the same life as he did in his 20s, unlike them. He owns a record label now, which gives him a little bit more financial freedom, you get the sense. And he's sleeping with a 28-year-old backup singer. So still kind of living the high life. He hasn't seen Danny in a year. And he brings him a present. And that is a video game called Striking Vipers X, which is a VR version, virtual reality version, of the game that they used to play that we saw them playing in the opening scene 11 years ago. So late that night after the party, they try it out, picking their favorite champions from way back when, Roxette and Lance, who in the game end up kissing, and then the entire episode follows the aftermath of what does that mean? Why did we do that? And do we want to keep doing it? (laughs) Yeah, and, and it's at this point that I'm saying to myself, what? (laughs) is going on here and look i mean obviously you're going to talk about the exploration of one's own sexuality exploration of gender identity because one of the first things that strikes me if i've got all these choices why am i going to play a female character that didn't strike me as believable at at the beginning of this see now (laughs) I've played female characters, especially in MMORPGs, going way back. And I did catch a lot of flack in less enlightened days, (laughs) you know, the 90s, the early 2000s. But especially in a fighting game, if you're more attracted to the special moves of that character, it doesn't matter if it's a polar bear or (laughs) a female or a male. But if you focus on Carl in particular, then you might have more questions (laughs) than if you focused on the larger picture. Right. And I do understand that, that perhaps the female character has special abilities that the other characters don't have. But I just think most people would choose a character that more identifies with them. But I guess on the other hand, you could argue that this is the way to play out a fantasy. And I guess that's what we've got here. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's not even that. Like, I always play female characters in MMORPGs because I prefer looking at them. I'm not identifying with them. I just like seeing them in front of me. Okay. <laughs> but but <laughs> before we get into the deeper stuff, let's talk about the tech a little bit because the special effects that depicted this 90s fighting game are spot on. And I love, it almost has a humorous aspect to it, watching them hop around and <laughs> do the same kind of moves that you would see. Like she does the special move with her, uh, the leg, the leg, the leg, the leg. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to see him beat the crap out of uh, seeing her beat the crap out of him 
And of course, there's the traditional skimpy outfits, the beautiful vistas where they're fighting alone in this you know giant uh, urban setting or the beach or wherever. And the premise of it is that the synaptic feedback of the game lets you feel the punch and the fighting to make it more realistic. But that same technology apparently lets you feel sexual pleasure as well. And that's where my brother said, isn't that a bit of a leap, especially the differentiation between female pleasure and male pleasure that they actually have a conversation about seems a little bit more of a suspension of disbelief required for that one. But I'm willing to do it. <laughs> well, the other thing that struck me is, as you know, we only get short shots of, you know, the two guys as they're on their couches in their respective homes playing and they've got their eyes closed. And I almost expected to see them jolt backward when the other one would kick them in the chest. But we don't really see that. Well, they do cut to outside the game and they kind of wiggle a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you get. But yeah, so if you focus on the tech, and the thing is, I think people do watch Black Mirror a lot of times expecting the tech to take center stage, but that's not what we have here. The tech is really just a means to an end to explore the greater thematic parts of the story. So it really takes a backseat in that sense. But the only other superficial thing that I want to mention before we get into that is the really cool coincidence, and it is supposedly a coincidence, that we have Palm Clementef playing Roxette. Roxy, the avatar, she was Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy. So the fact that she is in this show along with Falcon, which is, of course, Anthony Mackie, and Black Manta from Aquaman, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen, is a huge coincidence that you've got three comic book movie actors in this one Black Mirror episode. And I think that there was a lot of people wondering if that was on purpose, but apparently Charlie Brooker insists that it was just coincidence. (laughs) So just a little fun fact. Okay. But I think there's just so many ways you could look at this thematically. And one of the ones that came up in a podcast interview that I listened to with the showrunners is the idea that is this cheating? Because if you do focus on the tech aspect of black mirror which is obviously the common thread between all episodes the question becomes the more sophisticated that vr gets when does it become cheating if you're indulging in this kind of behavior ignore for the moment the fact that it's two men and that one of the characters is female you know they're indulging their guilty pleasure obviously there's more distance showing up between danny and theo because he's kind of obsessing on this she's trying to get pregnant but he's too tired And he can honestly say he hasn't cheated on her with another woman, but is he cheating? Right. And that is one of the fundamental questions of the episode. And I really do like that question that as the technology gets more sophisticated, I think the answer becomes more and more, heck yeah, it's cheating. Right. And I think this is something we will have to confront, unlike some of the other technology aspects that might show up in black mirror this one is realistic it might actually happen where the designers the game designers may have built it for a certain purpose but they might also realize how it might be used and they might build in a little bit of you know guitar solo versus (laughs) symphony as they bring up the analogy for the the sexual pleasure that they experience but there's so much more to it i mean obviously we're talking about our 
men inhibited in their communication in real life, their feelings toward each other in a deep friendship that Carl and Danny apparently have. Theo mentions several times that they're terrible at talking to each other. So when she invites him to dinner after Danny has sworn off meeting Carl in the game, they, they indulged it too much. And, and he realized that Theo was starting to notice and called him out on it. The dinner itself is super awkward, but at the end of it all, even after they fought a little bit, she insists that they hug as they depart ways. And she says, men are so awkward, (laughs) you know? And I think that is a thematic element of this episode as well, that the game allows them to express their feelings in a way that's not inhibited by their actual cultural learned maleness. Does that make sense? Well, well, it does. And I guess I still don't exactly know where we're headed with this, because, I mean, for me, what really strikes me at the core of this episode is the feeling of disillusionment that the married couple is feeling that they clearly love each other. But life is, you know, again, it's starting to wear them down. And it's it's something that every couple experiences at some level at some point. And I'm wondering with these two guys, well, what is it? I mean, it's not that they have romantic feelings for each other. I think we kind of established that at the end. So is it just teaching them to open up to each other? No, it's not just that. Okay. But it is partly that. And that's what I think is so great about it because you're right. It is about that disillusionment. You know, Danny's knee keeps him from working out. He's feeling the effects of age There are elements to parenthood in the suburbs that bore him, which Theo acknowledges during their anniversary dinner. And meanwhile, Carl, I think it's even more interesting when he's dating this younger woman, Mariella, and she misses his reference to Dennis Rodman. He says, look at that guy sporting that Rodman look over at the bar. And she has to look Dennis Rodman up on her phone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I like how they do that several times with her, her going to her phone. Yeah. (laughs) The minute there's a lull in the conversation or whatever. And that's, you know, totally realistic. So I think Carl is also experiencing disillusionment because he's trying to stay young and he can't fight against the ravages of time. So in a sense, the game allows them to recapture part of their youth, but only as a fantasy element, only as a sexual element. It has nothing to do with their friendship in that sense. The only reason I think that the friendship comes into play is because if Carl is being truthful when he says that all of his experiments with other people in the game to try and replicate the experience he had with Danny are failing then wouldn't it be self-evident that some element of their friendship is what's making it special, what's making the sexual excitement, even if you don't want to talk about love or, or romance, something about their friendship is what is appealing to Carl as the expression coming out in the two characters, you know, having their trysts within the game. So I think it's very subtle and you can't, go too deep into it without kind of the whole picture falling apart to a certain extent. But there's clearly chemistry between Roxy and Lance that goes beyond just Danny being attracted to Roxy as a buxom young blonde. And obviously Carl is more probably attached to the feeling he's having as a woman than he is attracted to Lance. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, yeah. And maybe it's that I didn't, 
look at it at the level that you're raising here, because one of the things that I wondered, you know, we get that great scene where the two of them meet in the alleyway. It's raining. They get out of their cars. Let's just do it. And, and, you know, so they kiss and they both look at each other. Nope, nothing there. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So we're not gay. And then it takes me back to my perception that, all right, so maybe Carl has a gender issue and that his thing with younger women, and again, he's 38, she's 28. I mean, that's not that young, but maybe it's to prove to himself that he's not this or he's not that, but I don't think that's it either. No, you could make an argument for anything. You know, you could say maybe Carl's bisexual, you know, maybe it's just that he hasn't been able to discover that because of some kind of culturally learned inhibition that he has, and the game allows him to open up about that. You know, you could go in any direction you want and you can interpret it any way you want. And I think there's going to be different viewers that see it different ways. But I think what has a lot of critics panning this episode, whereas others like me think it's great, is because they're seeing it through their own lens. And everyone's going to have their own lens because obviously some people can focus on Theo and talk about this episode being about being open to fantasies because Theo, I mean, Nicole Bahari kills it in this character because she's the only one that's really expressing any kind of emotion. And she's having the same self image issues that Danny and Carl are having. Right. Oh, of course. The story has to be about her on some level too. And where it comes out and why the ending is so brilliant is that once she realizes what's going on, does she divorce him? Does she run from him? No, she decides this is your fantasy. Well, guess what? I have one too. And the fact that they were able to actually bring her fantasy to the forefront in that very first scene where she tells Danny that, you know, that when you pretended like you were a stranger picking me up at the bar, that was kind of exciting. He never capitalized on that. But when she was waiting for him for their anniversary dinner, a a man tried to hit on her again. And so she realizes this is my fantasy. And so if you get to do this once a year with Carl, I get to have a stranger pick me up in a bar once a year as well. (laughs) And I think that's a, one of the most hopeful endings that a black mirror episode has ever had. (laughs) Uh, You know, but I'm sitting here and I'm making air quotes picked up by a stranger in a bar. (laughs) What exactly does that entail? Because I'm thinking like, there's a big difference between my wife going home with some (laughs) stranger and me getting it on in a virtual reality video game with my best friend. Well, okay. So, no point taken, but at the same time, you might have an argument with someone over that. Does it have a difference? Is there a difference between the two? Because some could argue that it doesn't. But I think what's interesting to note as my final comment on this is that this episode was was directed by Owen Harris, who has only directed two other episodes of Black Mirror, and those two are San Junipero and Be Right Back, that one oh. with Haley Atwell in. And both of these episodes are widely acknowledged as the two best episodes of the series. So I feel like this guy's on a roll because if you watch the top 10 episodes video on Den of Geek, guess which three make the top three, this episode, uh, striking vipers and San Junipero and be right back. So I really think that's interesting. I mean, he also directed the twilight zone episode, the comedian, which we talked about on this podcast. So that doesn't necessarily fit the pattern, but he really had some of the best scripts to work with, I think. 
But Dave's going to get into one of the other episodes from season five. And of course, there's plenty of controversy to deal with with those as well. But before we get into his discussion of episode three of season five, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about Rachel, Jack and Ashley, too. All right, Mike. Well, I think it's fair to say that season five of Black Mirror is all over the place with the critics and the fans. And I think, as you mentioned in in your discussion, that it depends on what you as a viewer with your experiences bring to the table. For sure. And one of the things I love about this episode is that it speaks to and about young people as opposed to adults, which is pretty much what every Black Mirror episode seems to focus on. And everything I've read, and and you and I have had this discussion since we've been podcasting, you know, these seven or so years, that we don't necessarily like to read reviews before we podcast because, you know, we want to come at it with our own thoughts, not those of someone else. But I almost couldn't help it. And I'm hearing things like, well, this is not deep enough or complex enough. It's not dark enough. Well, this doesn't do what Black Mirror traditionally does. And I'm thinking, all right, so what? Well, and I couldn't agree more that the aspect of using a younger protagonist is something that this show needed to do. I mean, every episode can't be the same. And I don't know how you could argue that this episode doesn't use technology to explore an aspect of human existence because it does. Right. And I just wonder why this I almost feel like it's a preconceived notion. Well, Miley Cyrus is in it. So exactly. How how can it be good? I mean, she's a train wreck in real life. Well, okay. first of all, she's married to Thor's brother. So (laughs) there is that. I mean, (laughs) and I don't mean Loki. Um, But I mean, she's a wonderful singer. I mean, she's a tremendous performer. And whatever you think of her, forget it. She can act. Yeah. The fact that she had to go back and forth between pop star uh, glamour and the toll that that takes on someone, you know, that's not easy to do. No. And I think that's what we have to look at with this episode is it is about the toll life takes on these individuals. That said, unlike other episodes of Black Mirror, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think that's a good thing in this age of darkness that, you know, we we often find ourselves this dystopia show, this post-apocalyptic tale looming in the background. And and I, I love those shows, but I found this one engaging, especially the family dynamic on both fronts. I mean, as you said, traditionally, Black Mirror looks at technology and its impact on adults. Here, it zeroes in on young people struggling as they reach adulthood. And I just love that coming of age tale. And I think a lot of the critics miss that aspect and how technology plays a role in that. I mean, look, Young people these days, first thing we think of young people and their preoccupation with their cell phone. And that's true. There's no getting around it. Right. But I think also the whole idea that a lot of this has a different flavor to it and is less dark, I think 
is part of the fact that we're viewing this through the eyes of a teenager. So everything is much more melodramatic. Everything is given a level of importance that's well beyond what it actually has. Those are things that a teenager experiences. So even if you're seeing it as an adult and thinking that a lot of those things are overblown, well, that's because you're not a teenager. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, Ashley O., who is the pop star persona played by Miley Cyrus, is being exploited by her management team. We, We certainly get the idea she never had a childhood. And then we've got these two sisters who are trying to navigate their teenage years without their mother. And and it's the classic tale of a search for self amidst an ever-changing societal landscape and an uncaring, ambivalent, and even sometimes hostile adult world. And for the two sisters, Jack and Rachel, I love their dynamic because one of the first things my wife said when she saw his first scene is that, well, he seems like a good guy. And I'm thinking like, okay, because I'd already seen it at that point. He is, but he's struggling too, because he's not uncaring. He's not ambivalent. He's just kind of zoned out, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, we don't often spend a lot of time bringing the title of the episode into the discussion, but the Ashley 2, T-O-O, which refers to the AI dial. I love that because it really should be interpreted as Ashley also. Ashley O is going through these same things, even though she's approaching her 25th birthday and they're in high school. She really never had a childhood. And and it's certainly a tale we've seen many times. And Miley Cyrus has pretty much lived that tale herself. And while Everything I've read, and I haven't read exhaustively about Miley Cyrus, it does seem as if she has a pretty good relationship with her family, that her parents didn't really exploit her. I mean, her father was a star in his own right. Right, exactly. But yeah, I didn't think of it with the Ashley also aspect of it, because they're kind of on equal footing in terms of what they're going through, even though their experiences are vastly different. They're all teenagers trying to cope. Right. I mean, they're all dealing with isolation, ultimately brought on by the death of a parent or spouse or, in Ashley's case, both parent. And, you know, the father copes with the loss of his wife by immersing himself in inventing the perfect mousetrap. And we we talk about technology and Black Mirror, and he's down in his little dungeon, as his older daughter refers to it, and he's brain mapping mice to figure out what makes them tick. And he's created his version of the Ashley two doll in this smart mouse that, that will then go after real mice, but he's trying to humanely kill mice. And I've seen a lot of critics, you know, mention the Disney reference, kill the mouse. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, I, I guess, but uh, you know, certainly he's got that, neurological experimentation going on but then the two sisters which i i find totally fascinating deal with their grief in polar opposite approaches i mean jack's got the rebellious semi-punk attitude she's on her bed playing her electric bass rachel on the other side of the bedroom is immersed in this ashley o fandom i mean posters all over the wall she's watching interviews she's got the music And again, it's fascinating that it's the Ashley 2 doll that points out to Jack that 
oh, so you only listen to music your mother loved because the sister Jack is so condescending about everything Ashley O related. But then there's that one scene when, when Rachel asks her dad, can I get the Ashley two doll for my birthday? Uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. And to Rachel, that seemed as good an answer as she was going to get. She leaves the room and then Jack says, you know, it's Wednesday. So if it's not for Jack, she's not going to get the doll. Yeah. And I think that is a very important uh, aspect of fan culture, or even you could even call Rachel a Stan, the stalker fan is blind to signs like that, that Jack is pointing out. Yeah. And at the same time, Ashley O who's this orphaned pop star being raised by her aunt. I mean, she's finally, cracked under the intense pressure of pleasing fans and her overbearing manager aunt rather than herself. And yes, it's a classic tale, but, but again, I think Miley Cyrus's acting and what she brings to that character really is just so compelling and so heartbreaking on, on so many levels. Now we talk about the technology, her songs come to her in dreams. (laughs) Yeah. She wakes and writes them down. Okay, fine. You know, I think we've all gone through those periods in our life where, all right, it's going to be cool. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to write my dreams down. But then when we get to the later part of the episode, when she's in the coma and they're mapping her brains and the guy's looking at the screen, it's like, okay, that's a, that's an F sharp. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking? (laughs) Yeah, that stretches it a little bit too far, but I just like that they actually had something that almost would have been something that Rachel could have identified with the idea that the songs came from dreams and, and would have been like, Oh, that's so Ashley. Oh, you know? Right. Well, and and I think that's one of the things that we have to look at in, in terms of themes, because it, it certainly examines the impact of technology, but it points out the positive that media and the entertainment industry can do, because even though Ashley O is being exploited by her aunt and marketing team, somebody like Rachel draws comfort, and a sense of belonging from her music and the positive messages, however hackneyed you want to say they are of self-empowerment and you can do it if you want to. I think that's an important thing to consider that, that sometimes we really put that sort of thing down and here it's really what gets Rachel through the day as she's, still coping with her mother's death being the new kid in school and you know i think ultimately her her sister comes to recognize that well i'm kind of doing the same thing just in a different way and that whole ashley two doll which is basically a limited artificial intelligence that communicates with the owner holds conversations asks questions gives advice and and we see how it was probably programmed and and supposedly it was based on ashley o's personality and one of the first things i thought about you know once they're down in their father's lab and they've got the ashley two dolls brain and again i'm making air quotes up on the (laughs) screen and you see that little circle and, and you're thinking like well, yeah, it was just probably easier and cheaper just to take a picture of her whole brain, download the whole thing, and then put the limiter on. And we learn later that is, in fact, what they did. So, okay, is that believable? Well, 
you know, hey, I'm okay with dragons in Game of Thrones, so I guess I can, you know. <laughs> well, there are different levels of believability for the technology in Black Mirror. That's definitely true. And that's true over the seasons. So it's like, it, it can't be a story about technology. It has to be something that's framed around the technology. Well, well, I guess one of the things that I also love is that these life-affirming messages that, I mean, if I'm honest with myself, I mocked them at, at many points in my life. Oh, yeah, sure, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Yeah, right. Well, can I play for the Orioles? No, I can't. <laughs> you know, but it resonates with Rachel. And if you know that it resonates with Rachel, it resonates with many other girls that are feeling the same things she's feeling, the, these bouts of self-doubt, uh, of isolation. Well, and, and it's also like, is it healthy for her to feel that way? Well, what's the alternative? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it'd be even worse. Right. And I think what we see here is that it does bring her out of her shell a little bit. And, you know, hopefully that she will find that balance. But to a certain extent, Ashley O has saved Rachel for a time, drives a wedge between the sisters. But in the end, Ashley too, and ultimately Ashley O bring the sisters together. And, you know, I love the clever twist when the AI doll overhears the news report about Ashley O's coma. I, I thought that was really a clever way to send the story in, in another direction. Right, because otherwise it would have pretty much just tread water. <laughs> you know, there wouldn't have been any kind of catalyst to take things to their ultimate conclusion. Right. And, you know, Jack takes a page out of her father's book, deactivates the governor, which limits Ashley Two's repertoire. We get, uh, you know, some of Miley Cyrus's best work in the episode as she takes the sisters and gets them to help her take down her aunt. But again, in terms of the technology, you know, we see that her aunt has, you know, sent her into a coma from which she's not expected to emerge. And that gives the aunt a chance to take the next stage in building this Ashley O world, if you will, to come off our discussion last time about world building, that we've got now a holographic performer. And one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking as I'm watching this, well, fans aren't getting the actual person during a performance anyway. I mean, clearly yeah. when Ashley O is performing, she hates her material at this point. She's merely putting on a happy face for her fans and her aunt and her marketing team, all of these people that make her feel as if she's responsible for their happiness and their well-being. But isn't a holographic performer the next logical steps? I mean, why should the fans even care? Right. I mean, even some of the aspects of a performer or artist's life that a fan becomes obsessed over is been carefully crafted, not just the performance itself, but maybe even their social media presence, whatever like that is not necessarily representing who they are. So yeah, that's actually more believable in some ways than the brain mapping technology. <laughs> well, right. And I can't remember, was it Tupac that they had a holographic image of him at some award show? I can't remember. I, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm misremembering. But, you know, we talked a little bit about the extracting music from Ashley O's dreams and her brain activity. Okay, that's kind of a bit of a stretch. But then I'm thinking... Right, this is an industry that rewards artists who assemble pastiches of loops and samples and beats and calls them 
artists and groundbreaking. And I'm thinking like, all right, well, maybe this is not that much of a stretch anyway, because we get that scene (laughs) where he's extracted the music and he plays it and it's so dark. And the aunt says, well, you know, what if you do this? And he changes the pitch. Oh, okay. Sounds better. What if you speed it up? What if you do this? And then all of a sudden it sounds like Ashley Ashley O O song. (laughs) Right. I I love the connection between the limiter on the doll and the drugs used to control Ashley. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, And then in a way, the sisters and the dad, I mean, they're in a familial coma and when they save Ashley, they save themselves, which you're getting deep on me. Well, (laughs) I like it. Yeah. And I think this really has a lot to offer. And I, and I think whether some of the critics and fans can't get past Miley Cyrus, whether they can't get past the teenagers, uh, we get to the final scene and uh, it reminds me of that final scene in Rockstar. Did, did you ever see that movie? Uh, no, I, I know oh. which one you mean. The okay. Mark Wahlberg movie, right? Exactly. So he's left behind the gig as lead singer in Iron Dragon, which is this you know mega heavy metal band. And he's playing small clubs now as one half of a singer songwriter duo, but he's doing what he wants to do. And we get, uh, dude, this is such a great feel good ending. We're in a club. Jack's playing bass with Ashley fucking O on guitar. <laughs> Cause that's her name. Now, if you saw it out on the marquee <laughs> and it's a situation that we assume presents the music that Ashley feels reflects her at this point in her life. And, and it's actually a nine inch nail song. They're playing head like a hole, but yeah, I know people that tuned into this episode specifically to hear Miley Cyrus do a nine inch nails song. So yeah, that was a great way to end it. Well, and and I got news for you. If you have any doubts, just go to YouTube, put in Miley Cyrus and Billy Idol. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, she just kicks it, man. But uh, I really like this episode a lot. I mean, if I was reviewing it for Den of Geek, I I mean, I'd probably be considering whether to go 4.5 or not. Oh, wow. I I really did think it was that good. Yeah, I was admittedly very surprised that you picked this one when we were saying that we could each pick one. And I thought, sure, you were going to pick Smithereens. But I think you made a good argument for that. I actually thought also that Smithereens... Uh, received a little bit lower grade than it should have, um, you know, from the acting standpoint alone uh, uh, in that one. Um, so I'm sure if if people saw all three episodes, uh, Smithereens did take its fair shake of hits as well, uh, based on the fact that it wasn't based on too much future technology. And it was more just a a story that didn't necessarily feel Black Mirror-esque to some folks, but we could go a whole nother episode just about that episode of black mirror as well. But I think season five turned in a great performance and really took the series to a next level. There certainly were some high marks in season four as well. Once Netflix took over from channel four, but you know, for the most part, I thought all three episodes were good and, and apparently there's a wide variety of opinions out there, but maybe that's a sign of, how thematically rich they are that people can see it from so many different perspectives. Well, I hope so. And I hope people give some of these episodes a second look. And I understand again, you and I've talked about this many times that we just don't have enough hours in the day to rewatch a lot of the things that bear rewatching. Right. And, and Charlie Brooker actually refers to 
Black Mirror episodes as films. He doesn't even like the term episodes because they are each their own story that just happen to have that technology link to it. So they are something that you could definitely revisit individually as you saw fit, but just a, a great anthology series that really shows other anthology series how it's done. <laughs> and so I, I always have a soft spot in my heart for for this one. All right. Well, what do we got up next, Mike? Well, next week we're going to be doing our best, and I'm a little bit scared <laughs> that we're doing this. We're returning to the town of Winden and season two of the German hit from Netflix, the time travel mystery called Dark. And boy, this is one of the most complex shows out there. And it's going to take a lot of note taking on our part to break this one down. (laughs) Yeah, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. And if you haven't seen season one of Dark, definitely check it out. You might need a rewatch even if you have seen it before you dive into our season two discussion. We're just going to obviously go into the first couple episodes as we usually do. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep up the discussion on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.